The Heart of Art is sponsored in part by the Texas A&M University Art Galleries, which includes the Stark and Forsyth Galleries located inside the MSC. The galleries provide a variety of opportunities to experience art exhibitions, events, and hands-on activities. More information at uart.tamu.edu. The Heart of Art is brought to you by the Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts at Texas A&M University, bringing innovative and culturally diverse visual and performing arts programming to Texas A&M University and the Brazos Valley. The Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts fosters the creativity of our community via the transformative power of the arts. The Heart of Art, scoping the Brussels Valley for the best artists and bringing them to your radio. Howdy, Aggieland. Welcome back to the KMU Studios. My name is Hector Nino, and you're listening to The Heart of Art. And quick question, do you know what artificial intelligence is? Uh, well, I'm sure you do, because a lot of artists have been talking about this and have expressed their concerns about this. Um, but today we will be having an in-depth conversation with Dr. Martin Melandro uh, about artificial intelligence. He is an associate professor of mathematics at Sam Houston State University, as well as a musician and amateur composer. He's also the developer of the AI model that brought back Marco Scacci's opera Andromeda that was thought to have been lost to time. So uh, stay tuned to find out the implications of AI within the art community. Hi, Dr. Malandro. How are you today? Uh, I'm great. Thanks. What was your involvement in creating this new age Baroque opera? So uh, I'm the contributor of the AI model that was used to restore the opera. Uh, so um, I created this AI model for, um, for multi-track music infilling, uh, which is something that um, I envisioned that composers could use um, to help them as they're working on their compositions. Uh, among other things, I'm an amateur composer myself, and um, I built this AI model as sort of a tool that I could use uh, in my own workflow. And I have incorporated this tool into my own workflow. And uh, I created this model with the hopes that it would be um, useful for other composers to use in their workflows as well. And um, so these composers in Lithuania, uh, Mantatis, uh, Kruaskas. I'm not quite sure how to say that last name. Um, so, so these composers in Lithuania, uh, Mantatis and Maris, uh, were, were looking to restore um, this Baroque opera, Andromeda, uh, whose, whose libretto, uh, which are the lyrics for the opera, survived to the present day, uh, but the music for the opera had been lost. And um, over the summer, uh, they looked at a number of different AI models um, to try to find a suitable candidate to use for this opera restoration. Uh, I think the, the idea with this opera restoration was um, to be sort of an experiment to see what was possible with the current state of music AI. And uh, after trying a number of different uh, music models, they settled on my model, um, partly uh, for its uh, ease of usability 
uh, and partly because it understood classical style um, better than the other models that they tried. So after trying a number of different generative music models, uh, they settled on my model and used my model to help um, create the music to this opera, which had been lost. Uh, the only thing that survived to the present was uh, the libretto. So uh, they started with the libretto. So all they had was essentially the lyrics sheet for the opera. Oh, wow. And they had and they had to create uh, the entire music, you know, for the opera that fits the libretto. Uh, and the the uh, the final opera ended up being about um, one and a half hours worth of music, total runtime. Uh, so the model that I created uh, was trained uh, using only uh, public domain and other permissively licensed uh, pieces of music. So due to the nature of its training set, uh, my model understands best how to write in uh, classical, choral, and folk styles. Um, although there, there are some more modern compositions uh, in the training set for my model, so it does understand modern music a little, uh, a little bit, um, but it's most adept at writing in those sort of classical styles. Uh, and another thing about my model is um, end users can fine-tune my model on their own collection uh, of music to help my model learn to write more in the style of those music files. So, uh, so what uh, these composers in Lithuania did is they took my model and um, they noticed that it was good at writing in a classical style, but it wasn't quite enough for the style uh, of Baroque opera that they were going for. So they fine-tuned my model on some of the compositions of the original composer of the opera, uh, whose music has been lost to time. Uh, as well as some of his contemporaries, to sort of really um, narrow, uh, to, to really focus the model on uh, that Baroque style. So then they used my model and some clever prompting strategies uh, and, you know, lots of manual uh, editing uh, to, to recreate um, or, you know, to create uh, a new score for this opera. I think that's so exciting um, for the world of, of music. Uh, and before we get to that, I do want to ask you a little bit more about yourself. Um, so where are you from and where did this love for music and math grow? Yeah, so uh, I grew up in Corpus Christi, Texas. Okay. Um, and then uh, I did my undergrad uh, in math at Texas Tech. Um, I guess I grew up uh, listening to music. Um, I've always loved music, uh, and I started uh, playing music at a fairly early age. Uh, so my, my first love in music is uh, the drums. So I play drums, and uh, I started learning how to play drums when I was like 11 or 12. Um, and was that self-taught with the drums? Yeah, so wow. uh, my drumming is self-taught. Uh, really all my you know musical ability is uh, self-taught. Um, so I was in a band uh, with my friends in high school, and you know they played guitars, and uh, I borrowed a, a, a starter guitar from one of them, and I started learning how to play guitar as well, just by watching them and you know messing around. Wow. So um, so now uh, I play drums, uh, and I also can play some basic things on uh, guitar and piano. So. Um, 
so I did my, uh, so I went on and did my PhD uh, at Dartmouth, uh, graduated in 2008, uh, and then I accepted a position at Sam Houston State University, uh, and I've been here uh, at Sam ever since. So um, I've been a math professor, uh, and I've been a musician for a long time. Um, and my PhD research was uh, essentially in mathematical algorithms. So, um, and a lot of my research has been in algorithms uh, since my PhD. So, um, so I've worked on algorithms, you know, uh, the design and analysis and application of algorithms for a long time. And all of that work up until uh, this AI work, I would classify as traditional algorithms. Um, but over the years, I've accumulated a number of problems that it seems like traditional algorithms cannot solve, you know. And I've been looking for methods over the years uh, to solve these problems. And one of those problems is the problem of how can you uh, teach a computer to write music? Or how can you create a program uh, that you can run on a computer to collaborate with to create music? And it seems like, uh, it seemed to me like uh, machine learning techniques uh, and, you know, what we now call AI, uh, AI methods, uh, were the methods that um, held the promise to solve these problems. So, um, so I'd been interested in AI for a long time, uh, but it was only really in uh, 2020, um, you know, with the pandemic that I found myself with a little more time on my hands. Uh, to to read uh, and learn about this field. So in 2020, I started, you know, reading deeply uh, the AI literature and learning about these techniques. And uh, with every paper that I read, um, I read the paper with the idea of, uh, can I apply this to music in some way? And so, you know, eventually I read enough papers and did enough experiments uh, to discover that, um, a music infilling model like the model that I trained, uh, you know, was possible and uh, could be of use to composers. Yeah. I mean, I, I can hear your passion for music, um, but I'm wondering, was math something you were just good at or was it also a passion of yours? Yeah, so um, it's really something that I was always just good at, you know. Um, <laughs> Uh, in college, I kind of bounced around from, uh, from major to major. Uh, so I started off as a computer science major. Um, I've always had a passion for computer science as well. Uh, I did a couple of internships in computer science, actually, in college, and uh, decided that it really wasn't for me. Um, and I, I looked around at other majors in, in college, like uh, chemistry uh, and music, and I decided that those were not um, majors or careers specifically that I wanted to go to go into either. Uh, and the whole time I was just taking math classes essentially as my blow off classes, you know, <laughs> and like by the time I'd gotten through calculus three and linear algebra and differential equations and like I was just basically effortlessly making A's in these classes, I kind of realized like, Maybe, maybe math is something you can make a career out of. <laughs> right. I mean, I think it's so interesting that usually people are either left-brained or right-brained, but it seems like you really are both, <laughs> like full-on both. Well, yeah, I don't really know, but thanks. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, did you ever think that 
your love for music and your ability in math could impact a whole country culturally? <laughs> uh, I, I never really dreamed that big. No. Mm -hmm. So this is, <laughs> uh, I, I always, you know, hoped that, uh, my ability in math and my love for music could eventually create something that would have some sort of impact, uh, you know, and, and, and help, uh, and influence others. Um, I, I didn't know how far that would go. Uh, it's really cool to see this, uh, already having this sort of impact, uh, internationally, let's say. Right. I mean, I think they were celebrating the 700th year anniversary and that's when they played it. It, it was very like cultural melancholic and they seem very proud of it as well. <laughs> That's right. So the, the performance of the opera was part of the uh, 700, 700th anniversary um, celebrations in Vilnius, Lithuania. So, yes. Yeah. Um, well, I know you created uh, this model AI for music specifically. Um, do you have any thoughts on using AI in other forms of art? Yeah. So using AI in art, uh, other forms of art, um, so specifically for uh, for images and sort of starting now for videos, is a little bit more advanced, um, at least in terms of what the AI is uh, able to output. You know, um, so there's, for instance, like Mid Journey and Stable Diffusion, uh, which amateurs can use uh, to generate images, very high quality images uh, with simple text prompting. Uh, music seems to be a little bit more difficult from the from the engineering side of things um, to to create, um, especially out of text prompts. Like for images, it's 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 a lot easier to describe in words what you would like to see in an image, right? Than than it is to describe in music what you would like to hear. Um, and let me mention also in music, there's sort of two different domains that people work in. Uh, so one is the symbolic domain, uh, which is useful for composers, and that's the domain that I've worked in so far. And there's also the, the raw audio waveform domain. So like when you listen to a music file, you're listening to uh, a raw audio capture that um, is comprised of a mixture of multiple instruments playing together and you know, sounding together at the same time. Uh, and there are some people that are, uh, that are working on generating raw audio uh, so, like, completed music files uh, from a text description uh, or from a prompt from other music uh, or something like that. And um, I have chosen not to work in that domain uh, and rather work in the symbolic domain uh, just because uh, raw audio files are a lot harder to edit. Right. So I think edit. So I think editability is one of the key ingredients in creating tools that um, that artists can actually use. So, so these image generators, for instance, uh, they can generate high quality images um, that, using either traditional or uh, AI backed techniques, artists can then edit in specific places if necessary, right? And uh, so my model is, um, it works in a similar fashion in how it generates symbolic music that uh, end users can then edit uh, as they see fit, rather than just, you know, creating a, a raw music file that's 
difficult, if not impossible, to edit right. to fit your style or to fit your needs. I mean, I think that definitely helps to add that humanity into it, that humans still have to perform it and, and change it up to make it their own. All right, you guys, we will be going on a quick break, but do not go anywhere. We will be right back. The Heart of Art is brought to you by the Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts at Texas A&M University, bringing innovative and culturally diverse visual and performing arts programming to Texas A&M University and the Brazos Valley. The Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts fosters the creativity of our community via the transformative power of the arts. Um, but do you think that AI developers should keep in mind how humans are going to be using this and to prioritize that? Yeah, that's definitely been a theme in uh, AI research uh, very recently honestly like for for a number of years AI researchers seem to primarily be focused on what is possible what can we get um, these AI methods to accomplish uh, and it's only in the last few years that we've started really I think thinking about um, who are the end users for these tools and how do we package these tools um, for people to use in their in their creative endeavors or or in their business endeavors or otherwise. Um, what, another thing that I was interested in uh, was when AI is used in art, should it be credit, credited? And if so, who takes that credit? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So, uh, and it's one that like, that legally we are only sort of starting to get answers to and, and morally, I don't really know the answer to. Uh, so I, I guess the question is really uh, if AI is used in the creation of something, anything, whether it be, you know, a piece of art like a picture uh, or a piece of music or even a piece of writing, right? Like we have generative text AI models now like ChatGPT. Um, should that be disclosed? And um, part of me says yes, but part of me also says these things are just tools, right? And like, do I have to, um, do I have to credit Microsoft Word, you know, if I use it to write a novel? That doesn't seem right. Like Microsoft Word is just a tool. Mm -hmm. And we're starting to see, for instance, um, generative AI uh, as, uh, as a helper for, uh, for people writing text. So you're starting to see it in your emails, right? You're starting to see this, uh, these autocomplete suggestions pop up. Uh, and some people like that and some people hate it. Um, but that's um, some AI model is predicting the next few words that you're going to type in your email and you can either accept it or not, right? right? Mm -hmm. um, so if you write an email and you've accepted some, uh, some suggestions for the text to use in that email, should you have to acknowledge that? I think it's a similar question. And I think a lot of people would say, no, I don't have to acknowledge that because that's just what I was gonna say to begin with, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and the, the lines blur a little bit more when you get into art and, uh, and music and you take the output of a generative model that maybe wasn't quite exactly what you were going to write 
uh, and you use it anyway, or you edit it somehow to make it your own. Right. So I don't know. It's it's a it's a very it's a it's a blurry question. I think. I mean, I think the main um, thing that it's affecting is the creative process itself, right? It's shortening the creative process. Would you say? Yeah. So. Um, I, I guess probably the the ultimate goals of these generative systems that are targeted at artists, that are targeted at end users, is either uh, to accelerate workflow or to help the end user create something that they don't actually have the skill themselves to create, right? Like, um, so on the, for, the, for the second of those things, uh, I don't know how to draw. I don't know how to paint, um, but I can create fantastic images using these image generators. Uh, so that, um, I feel, empowers me uh, to create art, you know, that goes with my music. I haven't really actually done that yet, but it's something that, you know, I plan on doing and that I would like to do. And am I, um, you know, there's always the question of who does this harm, right? Like, is am I taking work away from, from art, from uh, visual artists by doing that? Possibly. Um, but for me, at least, like, my art is basically just a little text block that I've, you know, created in paint, uh, or like some, uh, some little video of uh, a spectrogram of my music uh, for a YouTube video. I wasn't paying an artist to begin with to create that sort of crappy art, you know? <laughs> um, so, so am I taking away work from visual artists by contemplating the use of these uh, these AI tools? I don't know. I Probably not. And, you know, we're also creating, we're not just creating tools for accelerating workflow for composers like, I'm, like I've created. Um, and my tool is also a tool for inspiration as well. Um, I often face composer's block, and I, and I find that my tool help me, helps me get over that. I did want to talk about your AI model specifically because it is available for all to use currently, right? That is correct. Yeah. And is this one of your goals to encourage people to go and explore the possibilities with artificial intelligence? Absolutely. So, um, you know, artificial intelligence is becoming an important part uh, of our lives. Um, I'm sure all of us have had, you know, many conversations about artificial intelligence and its role in the future of society, you know, within the last uh, year or two. And I think it's important for people to start interacting with AI models um, to see what's possible and also to see what's not possible. Uh, you know, these AI models, uh, AI is, a, is an ongoing, very active research field. It's not like we've solved everything yet. And the, the techniques that we have currently available to us uh, have some pretty strong limitations in terms of what they're capable of. So I think it's important for people to start interacting with models like ChatGPT for text, uh, with um, image generation models, and if you're into music, with music generation models, you know, just to see where, uh, what the current state of technology is and um, so that way you can, uh, you can understand it and learn, you know, maybe what to fear and what not to fear. And also think about how you, uh, how you can start integrating these tools into your workflows. Um, because, you know, people who, who keep up on uh, the progress of technology are going to be the people who, 
who get ahead and are who and are who are most in demand uh, going forward. Right. The extent that I've been using it is like for groceries, <laughs> for, for oh, really? okay. budget. Yeah. Um, but what's what's that website that people can use to access this model? Uh, yeah. So uh, so my model is hosted on GitHub. Uh, I, I I'm not going to try to read you the URL for it. <laughs> Uh, but if you if you Google Composer's Assistant GitHub or um, Composer's Assistant Martin Melandro GitHub, uh, that should take you uh, to where you need to go. Uh, so my model is uh, a model that has been trained on uh, copyright-free and otherwise permissively licensed uh, music files. Um, and the reason for that is twofold. So uh, one of the reasons uh, for that is um, because there are a lot of uh, questions about, uh, you know, the legality of training on copyrighted information. Uh, and I wanted to not, you know, not risk uh, anything with a released model that had been trained on, uh, on copyrighted musical information. Uh, and the, the second reason for that is because I really genuinely want composers to be able to use my model. So there are two possible places where, you know, a court might judge that a copyright infringement has occurred uh, with generative models. So um, one place is at the training stage. So just is it is it legal? We don't really know yet uh, to take copyrighted information and train an AI model on that information. Uh, and so, so my model avoids that issue. And the second place where a copyright violation may occur is when a user generates something with an AI model. And if they generate something that's a plagiarization of the training data, then that can be an issue, right? That would be an issue uh, it could be an issue both for the creator of the AI model that output the plagiarization, uh, and it's also uh, a copyright violation uh, of the person who uses that output uh, and, you know, releases it as their own. So, uh, so if my model, for instance, plagiarizes the data set uh, and outputs, you know, uh, a melody from the data set, uh, and then you go on to use that melody, then there's no issue with it because um, that melody was uh, copyright free to begin with, as far as my model goes. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that seems to be something that a lot of artists are talking about. Um, the actual whatever the AI is being fed is actually copyrighted already. So even if it is creating something new, it's still you know using plagiarized things, but. What can you say to these people that are afraid of using AI with art? How would you make them feel better about this? <laughs> so which people specifically? Those artists that are scared of using AI at all costs because it takes away the humanity. Right. So um, I guess I would say to them, uh, maybe just try it and, and see um, to what extent you have control over the output of these systems mm -hmm. and see if it's possible maybe to, to integrate these things into your workflow. Um, I know with art, it's not necessarily as easy as it is with, uh, with a music model like mine, for instance, because mm -hmm. you can use my model, for instance, to output just a few notes at a time. 
and then you can edit those notes however you see fit. Uh, in the art domain, you're out you're outputting thousands of pixels at a time, and it's it can be harder uh, to edit that into something that fits your vision. Artists who uh, who make a living professionally with their art have you know a number of legitimate worries about AI. Uh, a their art being used without their consent to train models, uh, which which may or may not be legal. We don't know yet. Uh, I can see arguments for it both ways. Um, you know, on the one hand, um, people who train models on copyrighted information are using that copyrighted information without consent, typically. Um, but that may be a transformative fair use uh, thing to do. And if there is an if there is any infringement, that infringement might only occur uh, if a model is used to generate outputs uh, that plagiarize the training set. We don't really know yet. Uh, and another uh, another fear that artists have um, is being replaced, you know, by AI models. And um, I'm not trying to do that. You know, I'm trying to use AI to create tools um, that help people in their domains um, work better and faster in their domains. Um, like I'm not trying to create music tools that people who don't understand music you know, can use to create music. Um, rather, I'm trying to create tools that um, people who understand music and are already making music can use to accelerate or help them with that process. I'm Hector Nino, and you've been listening to The Heart of Art, a production of 90.9 KAMU-FM. You can find all of our shows anytime at kamu.tamu.edu. The Heart of Art is brought to you by the Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts at Texas A&M University, bringing innovative and culturally diverse visual and performing arts programming to Texas A&M University and the Brazos Valley. The Academy for the Visual and Performing Arts fosters the creativity of our community via the transformative power of the arts. The Heart of Art is sponsored in part by the Texas A&M University Art Galleries, which includes the Stark and Forsyth Galleries located inside the MSC. The galleries provide a variety of opportunities to experience art exhibitions, events, and hands-on activities. More information at uart.tamu.edu.